Hi, this is Joey Brandon. Welcome to the Axiom Podcast, Episode 12. I'm Joey Brandon. I'm your host for the Axiom Podcast, and today we're going to be talking about a fun topic, which is basically your receptionist as your most critical employee, and I call this the evangelical receptionist. That's the kind of receptionist that we want all of our clients to have, and <clears throat> excuse me, the, the receptionist, a lot of times I will tell my clients that I do consulting with that that is the number one position in your company. It's the most critical, most tone-setting, most culture-influencing position that any company can have. It's that frontline position, that person who sees everybody from the prospect who could take the business to the next level, to the UPS man, to the longstanding customer, to the vendor that uh, is bringing you stuff that you need for your business. The receptionist is... Not, I don't like the word gatekeeper um, because it, it has this negative connotation of trying to keep people out. But the receptionist is that person who welcomes people into your business and how they welcome people into your business says a lot, not just about that person and how well they do your job, but the entire organization. Every, if you, it doesn't matter whether it's a, a five-person firm or it's a 500-person firm. The company will be judged based on, in many, many, many cases, on first impressions. And the controller of first impressions, the, and some companies get really creative with their titles. And I've seen uh, receptionists hand me business cards that say director of first impressions. <clears throat> and that's a cutesy title, but it really does get to the heart of what their job is. Their job is to make sure that that interaction with the outside world happens in a very intentional and very positive way that will affect the business. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Not just the receptionist position per se, but that is that position in particular gets to the heart of what we're talking about today, which is this outward-facing culture. When you hear companies talk about culture, and it, it became very in vogue in the dot-com days to have you know cultures around ping pong tables or foosball tables in the break room or bean bags in the in some common space or open floor plans and and everybody equated these things with culture if you said <clears throat> if you said the company had a very progressive culture and then that was the kind of vision that you came up with in your head that oh there's a there's a pool table and a foosball table in the break room and you know, all the snacks are free and there's big leather couches that we can hang out with our, our laptops on. That's all internal culture. What I want to talk about today is this outward facing culture. How are you perceived by the people that you do business with? And ideally, they should be the same. But I think that a lot of times when companies say they're focused on creating a great culture, they are blind to a lot of the perceptions that happen outside of their four walls. So you want to create a culture that's not only welcoming and inviting and productive and effective for employees, you also want to build a culture that helps clients and customers get the things that they come to your business for in a very effective way. 
So one of the things that I think is very, very effective, I think every business should do this, is what, what you, you might call a customer experience audit. Um, it's kind of like secret shopper stuff, but <clears throat> it's more from it's, – it has the business owner – feedback directly to the business owner in mind or the general manager, CEO, whoever the person is <clears throat> that can take action and use this information in the best way. I got a frog in my throat today, so bear with me. <clears throat> so what is a customer experience audit? Well, customer experience audit is basically getting somebody to walk through your business the same way that a customer would or a prospect would and to just notice things and maybe take notes. But, you know, if they've got a very detailed you know ability to recall things, they may not need to take notes. But to walk through the business and notice things, <clears throat> whether it's you know, dust bunnies in the corner, um, a restroom that's not clean, a parking lot that's got cracks in it. Um, I mean, there's all kinds. And I've had so much experience going into businesses, whether it's, um, you know, I mean, we all walk into businesses, part of our normal everyday life, but when your role is to help businesses get better, you walk into places with a whole new set of eyes and you're like, Oh, I wonder if the, you know, it drives my wife crazy when we go to restaurants. Yes, one of the things that I'll do, you know, in addition to counting the tables and figuring out the average meal price and the average um, size of the cover, you know, I'm, you know, I'm already calculating how much the business is doing in revenue in a year based on what I see when we're, while we're ordering our meal. But the other thing that I'll notice is, you know, what is the reception area like? What is, you know, are the everybody notices cleanliness and stuff? But the menu layout is it obvious that there are certain things that they are trying to guide your attention to? Is the menu too big? Is the menu too small? Um, what's the pricing like? What do I think their margins are? What's the service experience? What's the manager doing? All of that stuff. What is the bar service like? Um, I'll notice stuff like that. What does the exterior of the building look like? Is the dumpster located too close to the side entrance where everybody you know is, is pulling up to get their takeout orders? I mean, all this stuff. You notice, and then especially when I go to clients' businesses or prospect businesses for the first time, I'll notice that stuff as well. And there was one uh, financial advisor uh, that I went to visit. This was years and years ago. And I walked in the front door, and I, it was it was just a weird experience because you walk in the front, and there's a desk like there should be a person sitting there, but there wasn't a person there, and there wasn't a whole lot of stuff on the desk. There might have been like a commuter – a uh, computer monitor and an inbox, um, but there was no, there was nothing else. And, and there was a conference room to the side, and another conference room on the other side. And then there was this long hallway. <clears throat> you could see that there were offices off the hallway, and then at the very back of the building, uh, it was kind of a maybe a twenty foot hallway, and maybe it wasn't the back of the building. But at the end of this twenty foot hallway. There was another bigger receptionist, desk, like you would normally think of a receptionist desk, kind of a countertop height desk with somebody behind it. And as I walked in the business, it was uncertain what I was supposed to do next. Was like, do I wait for somebody here? Am I supposed to walk down this hallway? Am I not supposed to walk down? This look like private offices. Am I just going to be, you know, barging down somebody's hallway? And as we talked about the, um, I, I talked to the business owner later in that appointment. You know, one of the things that they were struggling with was the the receptionist position, 
And I said, well, I th- you know, I think one of the things you need to consider is that nobody knows what they're supposed to do when they walk in that front door. You can't blame the receptionist if the customer is having a bad experience just because you have an architectural problem. And, you know, that those are the kinds of things that business owners need to hear is like, this really is a problem. You guys need to spend the money, spend the 1500 bucks or whatever it's going to take to redo the front area and put your receptionist out there, do the technology so she's got her workspace out there instead. Or, and it was interesting, what we came up with in this case, they didn't want to do all that, is we just put a sign right as people walked in the door that said, like, straight ahead for receptionist or please walk to the receptionist desk, and it indicated what they were supposed to do, and it takes away that uncertainty. Uh, you know, one of my... Um, one of the ways that I gauge prospects when I'm going to, um, to to talk to a new business who wants to bring us in to help them with some stuff is I'll use the restroom. And you can always tell I, – I think I can tell how well a business is run by what its restroom looks like. And it's not just cleanliness. Like you, you want it to be clean. But the other thing you're wondering is like, you know, do they have extra toilet paper in here? Do they have? Is the paper towel been stocked? Is the soap um, dispenser, you know, full? You know, all that, all that extra stuff that basically indicates what I'm looking for is I'm looking for. Is there like a weekly checklist that they run through to make sure that the bathroom is in good order for their customers and their employees? Because if there is a weekly checklist then there's probably weekly checklists for other things. If they're willing to spend the time to make sure that the bathroom is taken care of, then they're probably willing to, to spend the time to make sure that the facility is properly taken care of, that the employees are properly taken care of, that people are getting regular reviews, and it's not just, oh, you know, we review people's performance when they ask for it. So there's a lot of ways that you can tackle this, but the most effective way, I think, is to find somebody that will give you the information that nobody else will. They will tell you things that you do not want to hear. And it's interesting when when uh, the spouses do not work together in the business, if you've got a um, husband and wife that own a business but they don't work together in the business, maybe you know she's the one who's primarily running the business. That was the case with this financial advisor, and there's other cases where he's primarily the one running the business and she's doing something else. Well, the spouse will tell you some stuff that you don't want to hear. The problem is most of the times the person who's supposed to be listening to the information is just dismissing it. It's like, oh, yeah, they don't, they're not here on a daily basis. They don't know how hard that is to do or that that's not really important. So I'm telling you right now, it's important. What you should ask this person to do is walk through the business with a fresh set of eyes and tell you everything that they notice about the business that is either positive, negative, or neutral. And that third category of what's neutral will really force them to look at more things. So a lot, if you're just looking for the bad things, it's a question of how bad is bad enough to make it on the list, right? So you know, if you say, just walk through the business and tell me all the bad things, well, do you mean like all the really bad things? Like are we talking health code violations or are we just talking about – are we talking about things that like don't pass the white glove test? So, you know, you'll have this problem of differentiating what's bad enough to make the list. But if you say, tell me what's bad, what's good, and what's neutral, what are all the things that you notice that are just, yeah, I don't think they're bad or good. 
Well, then you can sit down with that list and go, well, this thing that you put on here is neutral. It's really not good. Or this thing that you put on here is neutral. It's really kind of good because nobody else is doing that. Um, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. It was probably like four or five years ago. Um, I had somebody do this with our business and they walked out and one of the things that they listed as neutral was the Keurig coffee maker that we had at, sitting out in our lobby. And so we had, you know, the Keurig with little K cups and clients could come in and they could make whatever coffee they wanted to. And my staff was super duper proud of that thing. They're like, you know, they thought that that was just it. That was going to highlight the customer experience for everybody. The person who came into the audit said, "Yeah, that was kind of neutral because they had been to enough other businesses that that had kind of just become the standard. Everybody had those in their lobby. And so it was a good wake-up call for me and my team that's like, yeah, if you really want to treat people to the red carpet treatment, you got to do something else out there. The little make-your-own-coffee thing is not quite enough. So have somebody go through the business, tell you what's good, what's bad, and what's neutral, and then decide what you're going to do with it. Sit down, go over it with your team, and determine whether you're going to need to invest some money. A friend of mine recently did this with his business. It's a retail business, and they have a huge lot. It's a it's basically an RV business, and they have this, this big lot. And so he had somebody come through and take a look at it for him. And as a result of that, they basically did a major facelift to the sales center because the person who did the audit said, you know, this just doesn't look the way I would expect it to look. I know how you guys service things. I know how you guys do things. I know that you're kind of a notch above everybody else in terms of your customer service and customer satisfaction. But when I walk up to the property, that's not what I expect when I walk up. So they decided that they're going to invest quite a bit of money to dress up the facade of the building and make it look like the expectation they wanted customers to have when they came to the business. So find somebody that can do that for you. Sometimes it's a good friend. Sometimes it's a it can be a mentor. Mentors are great for this. Um, business coaches, consultants can do this for you. Um, I do it for my clients all the time, and it's one of the most value-added value exercises that we can do for them. You know, one time I actually shared this with my dentist one time because I was sitting in his dental chair getting my teeth cleaned. And what are you looking at when you're laid, laying back in this dental chair? We're well, looking at the ceiling. And, you know, one of the things I noticed was up in the corner, there were like cobwebs in the corner. And I said, Joey, his name was Joey too. I said, you know, you have cobwebs in the corner and every person who comes into this dentist chair, that's all they look at for the 20 or 30 minutes that they're here getting their teeth cleaned. And so what do I think when I see cobwebs in the corner? I think, well, I wonder how, how often the rest of the office gets cleaned because I know that corner hasn't been cleaned in a while. And, you know, that's the kind of stuff that if, if you have friends who own businesses and you, you, you're a patron of those businesses as a customer, by all means, share this stuff with them. But do it in a way that's respectful and it's not just beating them up. One of the things that customers want and the reason that this customer experience audit is important is that the, every, every single customer has a desire for certainty. They want to know what's going to happen. That was the issue with that financial advisor's office where customers walked in the front door and they didn't know what they were supposed to do. And anytime you have a customer who shows up in your business and they don't know what they're supposed to do next, that's death for the customer experience. There's nothing worse than 
having this lost feeling inside of a business, even if it's just for a few seconds, it completely changes the entire experience for the customer. So you want to basically architect the customer experience so that they know what they're supposed to do every step of the way. Are Everybody who walks into your business feels like they're expected to do certain things. So you, when you think about this from the customer's point of view, depending on the type of business you're talking about, there could be some anxiety involved. To go back to the dentist office, do you think the people, the average person who's walking into a dental office is anxious? Absolutely. It's not, it's usually not a pleasant experience. I just had my teeth cleaned last week. And, you know, the couple times a year that I go in to do that, I don't, I don't dread it. But at the same time, I get it done early in the morning because I don't want to have to think about it all day. It's like, I want to get up, I want to go, I want to get it out of the way and then have the rest of my day to myself or to do work or whatever. So when I walk into the dentist's office, one of the things that they can do for me is to make sure that my entire I know exactly what I'm supposed to do, where I'm supposed to be, and, and what they expect of me at every point in that process. So when I walk in the door, before I can get to a seat in the waiting room, somebody has already greeted me and said, hey, I'll be with you in just a minute. Um, I know exactly which room I'm supposed to go to because they show me to that room. There's a person, the dental hygienist, is waiting for me when I get there, and she greets me, and she runs through the same list of questions every single time. You know, So it's, you know, are you experiencing any, any pain, any discomfort? Has anything changed since your last visit? Are you flossing? What kind of toothbrush are you using? What kind of toothpaste are you using? All that stuff. Do you have any questions that you want the doctor to answer before you leave today? And I'll make sure that he gets in here. Otherwise, I'll clean your teeth and you'll be out. And then when I'm done, they set up my next appointment before I leave that room. She walks me out to the front desk. There's a person behind the desk who's got my um, account open on the computer and tells me whether I owe anything or not. I pay them. They give me a receipt. They confirm again when my next appointment is. And I walk out the door and I'm done. Never at any point in that arrangement was I ever questioning, I wonder if somebody heard me come in the front door. Um, I wonder if they know that I'm on their wellness plan and that this was covered or not. I wonder if um, I'm supposed to schedule the next appointment or if they're going to ask me what's best for me. None of that stuff. There's always a high degree of certainty about what comes next. The other thing that you want um, customers to know is, What's the next buying decision that they need to make? So going back to that dental example, I'm on a plan where I pay one fee for so many cleanings a year. And so they know, they'll tell me, hey, you've got two more cleanings left this year, one more cleaning left this year. And when you renew, you can, you know, you can renew now or you can renew when you come in for your next cleaning. They know what they want me to do next. They know what they want me to buy next. They know when they want me to pull out my credit card next. And that's, you know, that sounds like, oh, that's great for them. But that's really good for me because there's never any ambiguity about do I owe these people money or not? They know. And it's really nice for their staff and their employees because they never have any ambiguity about asking people for money. They just know that tape, you know, this is the way it's done. One of the customers that I work with has had a difficult time getting their 
field service techs to collect when the service is provided to the customer. And so you show up to somebody's home, they do their thing, and they would really like to get paid before they leave so that the office does not have to send a bill and they have to deal with accounts receivable and all that stuff. Well, the business owner that I work with is good friends with another business owner. And this business owner, this friend of his, collects basically 100% of the time. They do not leave your home without collecting the money. And so he said, hey, well, let's bring them in and let's just find out what's their secret sauce. How is it that they're able to um, just do this as a matter of course? And we struggle with it so much. So we didn't go to the business owner. We actually asked the business owner to send over one of his field service techs because they're in the home services industry as well. We said, hey, send one of your guys over and let us talk to him about how they do things over there. And so he said um, – so they, they brought him in and he said, you know, we, we, don't, uh, we don't get a bonus if we collect before we leave. We don't um, – there's no special incentive. That's just what's expected. That's just how we do it. The customer knows and, and their secret sauce wound up being when the customer makes the appointment, the person who's on the phone says, and how would you like to pay for this? We can accept a credit card or check or cash uh, at the time of your service. So how is it that you'd like to pay? And he said, you know, once, once that question is covered on the phone with the customer, then it's just a matter of integrity, you know, because the the person who's at the home knows that the homeowner has told the person back at the office that I will pay with a check when the service rep's here. And so when the service rep is there and he's done with the job, he says, you know, your total will be $485.65. Um, I'll take your check now. And if they go, well, you know, I'd really like, can you just bill me? It's it's not a matter of them being a hard-nosed you know, person who's only going to take the cash. It's the fact that the customer said, well, you, were gonna, you, you told us that you were going to pay us with a check, so we'd like to get paid with a check. You know, that's what you said on the phones. You're going to pay us with a check. So at that point, it's an issue of is the customer being their word? Is the, does the customer have integrity or not? And that allows that person who's in the field to be very bold about asking for the money because – there, again, the expectation has been laid out to the customer. There's never been any ambiguity. The customer's desire for certainty has been met to the T, and they know before the tech gets there that they need to have a check ready before the tech leaves. So having the next buying decision, things like payment terms um, are always good to have in place as far as helping the customer experience. The other thing about certainty that's really, really important is that certainty allows the customer to build a relationship with the business. And what I just said there is is kind of interesting. I would say it's profound, but that sounds like I'm a little full of myself. But think about this. It'll, certainty allows the customer to build a relationship with the business. Notice I didn't say with the field service tech. I didn't say with the CPA. I didn't say with the lawyer. I said it, that certainty, that familiarity helps the customer build a relationship with the business. This is why when you go overseas as an American, you will see other Americans standing in line at McDonald's. And it's, it's crazy. You're like, why would you go to McDonald's? 
You've got all this out. You're, you left the country to see new things, to try new things, to experience new things. But people go back to what they know because they have a relationship with McDonald's, as sad as that sounds. They have a relationship with the business because they're very familiar with it. It's the certainty. They know what to expect. So if customers know what to expect when they come into your business, then they will build a relationship with the business. And that's huge for small businesses. It's huge for service businesses because oftentimes one of the the impediments to succession, one of the things that keeps the business from changing hands very easily is this identification with the personality. So the customer has a relationship with John. And if John no longer owns the business, then it has no goodwill. Well, the reason that the customer has a relationship with John is because John is the only familiar thing in that business most of the time. John is the only steady, predictable, certain thing about the relationship with that business because the receptionist has changed six times in 10 years. The, um, the office has, has moved twice. The person who does their work is different every single year. Sometimes they have the appointment. Sometimes they have a phone call. Sometimes they pay once a year. Sometimes they pay three times a year. But John, John is always there. And so, yeah, if John leaves, there's no certainty left. If now I'm not saying that you have to have zero turnover for this to work, but if they know how they're going to be greeted every time they walk in the office, if they know what their expectation is for payment every single time they walk in the office, if they know what to expect every year when their work gets done about the timing of when certain things are received and what the process looks like, if that stuff is consistent every single year, and then one year John says, you know what, I'm, I'm going to retire and I'm selling the business to so-and-so, but everything else is going to stay the same. You're still going to be greeted the same way. You're still going to go through the same process. You're still going to pay the same way. You're still going to ask questions and have them answered exactly as you did when I was here. It's just going to be a different person that you're sitting in front of. Then that business has a very high likelihood of retaining that customer because the familiarity breeds relationship. And you can only do that with a business if the customer has a high degree of certainty about what they're going to expect at different times. The other thing that's very important to customers is that consistency engenders confidence. If you're consistent about how you do certain things, then the customer assumes that you know exactly what you're doing. And that may not be as true as the opposite of that because the opposite of that is a thousand percent true. If you're inconsistent in how you do certain things, the customer will assume that you're incompetent. No matter how technically competent you are, if you're inconsistent, the customer is not going to walk away from that interaction thinking that you know what you're doing. So when you're talking about this whole idea of the customer experience and what are they what is it like for them when they come into the business if it's the same every single time then that customer probably thinks that you're pretty freaking good at what you do if it's different every single time they they might and and so let's say that it's different every single time but the, you actually are very good at what you do you say you're technically off the charts what the customer perceives is that you're a genius. 
because you managed to make this work in the midst of all this chaos. They don't like the chaos, but they like your genius. And again, that's great for your personality. That's great for the personalities of the people who work with you who, you know, maybe it's not you personally. Maybe you've got a, a good manager on your team and they manage to hang on to customers because they're really, really good at what they do, but they're operating in this environment where everything's different every single time. It's Everything's a one-off. Well, the customer will perceive that, well, that manager is just incredibly smart. And I don't know how they do it, but they manage to do it, and we keep going back to them. Well, guess what happens when that manager leaves? The customer leaves because they don't want to experience the chaos. It's much better for you to have a consistent experience for the customer every single time because they will have confidence in you and they will they will perceive that you know what you're doing the last thing i'll say is that when you're trying to decide when you're looking at it from your customer's standpoint this desire for certainty is not a prescription for boredom it's not a prescription for having this you know, this black and white business where it just rubber stamps out product or service after service after service, and there's no innovation going on. There's absolutely innovation going on, but it follows a process, and the customer is part of that change, that innovation. So some of the best um, innovations I've seen in the service business are – they kind of take a chapter out of the software development world where they beta test stuff. So if you're coming out with a new piece of software, the last thing you want to do is just make the change and everybody's got to live with it the day after the announcement. Because when a user interface changes in a piece of software, it can be devastating for the productivity of the users. Buttons aren't where they expected them to be. Thing Processes don't work the way they used to. Reports aren't laid out the same as they used to be. So they'll do beta testing and they'll go out to their customer base and they'll select a certain you know, segment, a small segment of the customer base, and they'll ask for volunteers to beta test this stuff. Now, what do the beta testers get? They get this feeling that they're being included in this brave new world of the latest and greatest project or product. And they get to offer feedback to the company. They get to add features to the product that will make their particular business or their particular use of that application much more effective for them. And so there is there is something in it for those people who take on the beta test. Sometimes it's just psychological. Sometimes it, these are the people who just like to play with new things. And you're giving them something new to play with. So everybody wins. But they come to that arrangement knowing that some stuff is not going to work the way it used to and some some stuff is going to take a little bit longer to get done than it used to and if you can adopt that same model in a services business or sometimes even a product business you do soft product launches or soft openings you can do the same thing and that's why restaurants do soft openings the people who show up to a soft opening for a restaurant know that the service might take a little longer they know that not everything on the menu is going to be available they know, but you know, they know a lot of stuff is not going to be up to the standards they will ex- expect three or four weeks later when the, the part opening has happened and you got regular customers coming through the business. What do they get for that? Well, they, you know, they usually get an open bar or they get you know, a VIP party or they get some recognition, and so there's a win-win for that. If you're, doing, if you're in a service business, you want to change the way that your company – if you're in a law firm and you want to change the way that your company does 
contract negotiations for customers, then you probably need to find some of your really, really loyal customers that you have great relationships with and say, hey, we've got a new process that we want to try out here. Would you be game to try this on some of your smaller deals before we roll it out and offer your feedback on it? And for that, you know, you're going to pay a reduced rate because we really appreciate the feedback. If you're going to change the way that your company does engineering engagements, then you need to go out and find a subset of customers that you can try this stuff out with and get their feedback on. So there's always going to be innovation in well-run companies, but how they manage that innovation is not ready, fire, aim. They actually go through a process of working with customers to adopt these new methods. So again, the customer, what's the, the single kind of underlying thread in this is that the customer knows what to expect. When you're talking about this outward-facing culture, anytime the customer doesn't know what's expected of them, then you've missed the mark, and they're going to walk away from the business not having a positive experience of that culture. All of that to say that you can architect this stuff. It, 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 the, what the customer experiences when they come to your business is a process. So it, what you're looking for is everything that touches the customer. And then the second part might be, you know, what touches what touches the customer. And you can keep going into this, you know, in, in loops until you drive yourself crazy. But one of the things, definitely, this is where we go back to that receptionist position, right? So what touches the customer? Well, the receptionist is the customer's very first experience with the business. So you got to get that right. The If you have a physical business, then that waiting area, you got to get that right. The, what does the parking lot look like? Because they touch it. What, is the front, what do the front steps look like? Because they touch them. What is the door handle? I mean, you, my opinion is you can't get too crazy with this stuff. If you want a leading business, you have to think about all of these things. One of the large companies that we work with had a guest parking lot that it was – in a, the reason they put it where it was is because it was one of the most shaded areas of the parking lot. And they thought, well, you know, most of our guests who come here are going to be here for a couple hours. This is in Florida. You know, right now uh, we're in July, almost July. It's June 30 today. And when I left for the gym at uh, 5.30 or 5.45 this morning, it was 80 degrees already. So, you know, they knew what they were doing. They're like, hey, we find the most shaded spot in the parking lot. It's Florida. It's hot. People are going to be here for a couple of hours. We don't want them coming back to a car that's 120 degrees inside. But they had to walk past in order for the customers to get to that nice shaded parking area to the front door. They had to walk past the place where the warehouse discarded all of the cardboard boxes that product came in. <clears throat> now, at 9 o'clock in the morning, that was not a big deal. But if you had customers coming in at 2 or 3 o'clock after the you know three or four semis had been there unloading product, there were cardboard boxes spilling out of this bin. And you know the, it's and if it was a windy day or a rainy day, now you got wet cardboard boxes or you got cardboard boxes that are being blown out into the parking lot or pieces of cardboard boxes and packaging material. And it just left the impression that, man, these these guys just throw crap everywhere. And when you're in a business where you're supposed to be safeguarding people's stuff, that's not the impression that you want to give people. So when, when I say you can't take this stuff too far, 
really think about it from the eyes of the customer. What are they experiencing? What's everything that they're touching? And then when you get into um, it's not just the physical spaces, it can be the physical things that you're handing customers. I talked about menus at restaurants. If you look at most restaurant menus, they're way, way, way too confusing for a customer to make a quick decision about what they want. And do you want customers to make a quick decision? Absolutely you do, especially if your prime um, business hours are the lunch hour. You want customers to be seated at the table. As they're being seated, the the server is taking the drink order in the two minutes it takes the server to get back to the table with the drink order, you want them to have their order ready. But what happens when the menu is too big? The server comes back after two minutes, and they still haven't been able to decide. So the server leaves for another two minutes, comes back, and in a lot of cases, they still haven't been able to decide. If you can't make that decision right away, you're putting it off for a reason. It's because it's too freaking troubling to figure out what it is you want to eat when there are 130 items on the menu. So but at the end of the deal, it's taken an extra three, four, five minutes for that table to put their order in. Guess how many covers come in the door between 12.05 and 12.15? A bunch. It could be 80% of your lunch capacity arrives in that 10 to 15 minutes. So how important is an extra five minutes in that time crunch, it's huge. It's the difference between being able to turn that table over and have it available at 1230, 1235, and having that table sit there till 1245, 1250 when there nobody else is walking through the door. And you're, then all of a sudden your restaurant gets the reputation of we can never get in there unless we get there at 12 o'clock. And so people go somewhere else. And there are restaurants here locally that have that reputation. We just know that the service takes so long, but that people are going to be there until 1245, 1250. And you don't have a chance to get out of there at 1230. So if you get there late, you're out of luck. If you want to be able to get in and out quickly, then you just have to go somewhere else. So think about everything that touches the customer. And again, this is where that outside party really helps. You're going to have a hard time doing it as the person who sees this stuff every single day. You're going to look at the menu, and to you, it's going to look fine because you see it every single day, and you know every single item, and you know exactly where it is. So to you, it's not confusing. You need to find somebody who's never seen it before and have them go, and there's a lot of crap on here. How much of this stuff actually sells during lunch? And you know, most businesses, if you talk, if you talk to a restaurant and you go, hey, it's going to cost you – $1,200 to get separate lunch menus printed. And they go, oh, well, you know, the, everything's on the dinner menu. Why would we do that? Well, could we increase your average lunch size by, you know, increase the covers another 15 to 20% by helping people make quicker decisions? How much would that add up to over the year? I hope it would be a lot more than 1200 bucks. Otherwise, you've got the world's smallest restaurant or you shouldn't be in business. But this stuff always has a payoff. That's my point. You can't get too granular when you're talking about this stuff. And then the other you, – you might go a little bit deeper. If this stuff really starts to infuse the entire organization, you start to ask questions about the stuff that touches the stuff that touches the customer. So let's talk about – go back to a restaurant example. It, when you're talking about the stuff that touches the stuff that touches the customer – now you're talking about not just the menu, you're talking about the whole menu planning process. 
So then you go back and you talk to the chef and you go, how can we make this easier for our customer? You know, most customers coming in for lunch, they want a burger, they want some kind of chicken, or they want some kind of fish. Those those are kind of the three main areas. So how can we, what kind of lunch menu could we put together so that people could almost like a, it's a full service sit down restaurant, but as they're sitting down, almost like a fast food place, they know exactly what they're going to eat. How could we build that expectation? And I'm thinking by the seat of my pants here, I haven't written any of this stuff down about these particular examples, but you get the idea of how uh, not just thinking about the stuff that touches the customer, but backing up one more step and going, how can we change kind of the fundamentals of the business so that they serve the customer better? And it all starts with that customer experience audit. One of the the things that we started with is this idea of culture. You know, we're, we're, we're talking about, you know, the evangelical receptionists and this outward-facing culture. Well, the thing about outward-facing culture is really it's the same as inward-facing culture. So when when you want – every business needs to be in the business of making customers happy. Otherwise, they're not in any business very long. So your culture really has to take the customers in mind. And believe me, I'm a huge proponent of happy employees make happy customers. So – you know, I get it that, hey, we need to get our internal culture right because if we get our internal culture right, then we're going to have happy employees serving customers and, and we'll have happy customers because of that. But I think that there is a tremendous amount of value in looking at things from the customer perspective. So at the end of the day, whether you call it inward facing or whether you call it outward facing, they are the same. And the reason that they're the same, they they have to be the same. You can't have employees treating each other one way and then customers experiencing something completely different. So your employees can't be treating uh, everybody inside the company um, with this, you know, very considerate, very uh, caring, very intentional, very um, attentive. I'm running out of adjectives. you know, way of treating each other and then have them be rude and uh, unaccommodating to customers. It just, it can't happen. They have to be the same both places. And the reason that they have to be the same both places is when the culture is fake, you know, so let me back up a second. One of the problems that business owners have is they don't know what's going on in the business. They they don't see it all. They're you know they've got their own list of responsibilities that they have to tend to throughout the day, and it's, it's often the case that employees behave one way around the boss, and they behave a little bit differently when the boss isn't there. And that's you know that's human nature. We're all gonna you know when I was at the gym this morning, um, and I'm doing my reps on, on the exercises that we're doing. You know, when the coach is standing behind me, I do it a little bit different. You know, I'm I'm a lot more attentive to my form. I'm a lot more intentional about how I set up to do the the movement. And when he's not there, you know, I'd slack off a little bit. That's human nature. And that's not good for me. You know, I should have the, the great form whether he's there or not. But I get it. That's when the boss is there, everybody's going to be 
a little bit more buttoned down. When he's not, then people are going to be a little bit more carefree. I get it. But when there's when the business is completely different when the boss is there than when the boss is not, that's a problem because the boss doesn't see it, but the customers do. And you run into this over and over and over again if you do um, blind customer interviews where sometimes when I'm doing due diligence with a business, I'll say, I'd like to talk to some of your customers and just get an idea of how they feel about the business and what their impressions are of how it's being run and whether it's a leader in the industry and what their experiences have been like, what are some positives, what are some negatives. And I've heard this several, several times where they say, well, when the manager's there, everything's great. But when the manager's not, you know, we almost want to reschedule our appointment because we're not confident that things are getting done right. We see people goofing off. We, we don't, you know, they're not as not as involved. They don't greet us the same way. Um, they for, one time they said they forgot to collect our payment. You know, that's something as a boss you never want to hear. So this inward and outward facing culture, they have to be the same because if you, if the business owner doesn't see it, I guarantee you the customer sees it. And there's one other group that you have to be concerned with, and that's your prospects. These are people who aren't your customers yet. And in a lot of cases, they fly under the radar. So your customers, the the employees that work in your business, usually know who those customers are. And they'll straighten up a little bit, even if they – you know, if they've been goofing off because you're not there for the morning, they'll straighten up a little bit when that unknown customer shows up. But when a prospect walks through the business and they don't know who they are, I mean, this person could be a vendor. It could be somebody from the city inspector's office. It could be somebody just wandering through trying to find a restroom. It doesn't matter. They, those people, those prospects, they see everything because your employee's guard is most down when those people are around. I had an experience with an organization that I volunteer for, and I'm on the board, and I um, I showed up for a meeting with one of the directors, facilities directors for this organization, and this the, the people who uh, work there on a daily basis, they have no idea who I am, but you know I'm a I'm not going to toot my own horn, but I'm a pretty big deal. I'm the chairman of this board of directors. And but they have no idea who who I am, and so the person that I was supposed to meet with was running late. He was coming in from another meeting that was offsite, and so we got in touch with him, and and they said, you know, he's running five minutes late. And so I just sat in a chair, kind of out in a hallway that was close to the front of front door, but it wasn't like a technical waiting area. Um, it just, you know, anybody could be sitting there. People who use the facility could be sitting there, you know, I could have been anybody. And while I'm sitting there, I, I hear one of the employees walking down the hall and he's on the phone and he is just ripping somebody a new one on the phone. And I thought, golly, that just, I don't know who he's talking to, but they must have done something that was just ridiculous. But even if they did something that's ridiculous, I'm not sure that it warrants him talking to them that way. And um, so, you know, that he kind of blew by me and he was, I'm telling you, he was having it out with this person on the phone. And, and what bo- bothered me about it was just wasn't very respectful. The way he was talking to them wasn't respectful. And we've all had those 
bosses that, you know, we've heard them rip somebody a new one and you get, you know, that just wasn't right. I know that he was right technically that they shouldn't have done that, but the way he handled it just wasn't very professional. It wasn't very respectful. And that's the flavor that it left in my, in my mouth when I heard this. So he goes by me, we have our meeting. And at the end of our meeting, this facilities director says, you know, oh, now I've got to go deal with this other problem. And I could kind of sense that whatever was going on on the phone was kind of blowing up into a big deal that morning because a couple people came into his office while we were meeting and, and I could hear what was going on in the hallway outside. And I just got the sense that this was kind of becoming a big deal. And so when we were finishing our meeting, I stood up and, and we're kind of saying our goodbyes and he goes, oh, yeah, I've got to go deal with this other thing. And I said, well, you know, tell me what's going on. So he kind of lays the situa- situation out for me. And I said, um, I said, let me tell you something. So I, I care about the organization. Otherwise, I wouldn't volunteer all this time for it. Um, and this is something that I feel reflects poorly on the organization. So I'm going to tell you what I heard. And so I basically explained the, the not the conversation because I didn't know what was going on, but I explained the tone and I explained how I didn't feel like that was what we wanted representing us as an organization. Now, I don't know what the final outcome of that. I certainly wasn't trying to get the guy fired. I don't want that. But I do want the organization to be represented in a professional and respectful manner. I don't care who we're dealing with. I don't care what they've done. And that's important to me. So I share that with the person. My point is the guy who was having that conversation, I was kind of in the same seat a prospect would have been. He didn't know me from Adam. Now, if he had known that I was the chairman of the board of directors, would it have changed the way he talked to this person? Eh, Probably not. But when your prospects are in your business, when people who haven't decided to do business with you yet are there, they see everything. They see the good, they see the bad, and they especially see the ugly. So this culture stuff, it has to be for real. You can't have an inward-facing culture that's all foosball tables and ping-pong and and beanbag chairs and leather couches and then have a customer-facing culture that's hard and cold and doesn't give a rip about what the customer wants. They have to be the same no matter where you're going, who you're dealing with. So last item, Um, and this is kind of – it's all kind of part and parcel, but maybe just summarizes up some of these thoughts. When employees treat customers how they're treated, you really have to look at when that customer experience audit comes back and they say, you know, well, the, the flower beds out front need to be cleaned up and the, uh, the bathroom and the reception area probably could use a, a little freshening up and you need new... Uh, waiting room furniture and, you know, I don't know, maybe the roof needs to be replaced or whatever. And and so the business owner looks at those and goes, okay, great, we're going to fix all those things. And here's the problem. The employees see all this money being spent to fix it up. Meanwhile, the break room coffee maker hasn't worked in six months. There's never uh, any new snacks in the snack machine. You know, half of it's been empty for six months. Nobody ever takes the time to um, clean the employees' bathrooms because you just expect that since they use it, they should be the ones to clean it. You know, what do you think their impression of your efforts 
to treat the customer better are. They really don't care very much. So you have to – this stuff can't be just one side of the coin. You have to address everything. The values of the company are for everybody. The values of the company aren't just for uh, the customers. The values of the company are for everybody in the company, especially the employees. So if you have to um, – if you have to take a step back and go, okay, so we did a customer experience audit. Maybe we want to do a, a um, an employee experience audit. Maybe we want to look at this from the standpoint of our employees. And that's a tougher one because you have to give somebody access to sides of the business that you know they may not have the knowledge of how things are done to give you good feedback. You know, if they don't know. Um, you know, what a well-run warehouse should look like. They may not see the deficiencies in yours, but I still think it's worth the effort. I still think you'll, you'll figure some stuff out from their feedback. The problem with employee surveys is that they run this bell curve of, you know, a few people won't see anything wrong at all. They'll think it's the greatest place in the world to work. The majority will say everything's fine. Yeah, there's, there could be some improvements, but we're generally happy with everything. And then you're going to have a few people who find fault with absolutely everything. And it's very hard to come up with actionable plans when you've got that kind of feedback because you tend to cancel out the overly positive and the overly negative and just stay with the general central bell curve of people who are generally happy, which says you don't need to make any changes. So I think you have to be employ- be careful looking at the employee-facing side of this culture stuff from surveys. I still think you're better off bringing in somebody who – is um is outsider who can give you a fresh perspective if you've got somebody like this uh friend of mine who has a friend of his that also owns a business you know one of the neat things was this friend of his sent one of his employees over and said hey go give them some ideas on this stuff i think that's a fantastic idea so if you've got somebody that you know who and we all know people who who are in similar industries or the same industry there may be friendly competitors or they're a little bit out of our region. So geographically, we're not competing with them as much. And you can say, hey, can you send one of your guys over, maybe reciprocate and say, hey, just tell them what you're trying to do. I'm trying to look at this from my employee's perspective, and I need a fresh set of eyes. I need somebody to come over here and tell me all the things that I should be paying attention to that are, are kind of sore spots for our employees. We've just done this with customers, and there's some changes we need to make. But we recognize that we also need to be looking at this from the employee's perspective and seeing whether there's going to be a disconnect between the things that we're doing for the customers and the things we aren't doing for the employees. Can you come take a look at it with us and and um, give us some ideas? So the values of the company, you know, if you don't have any, that's a problem. So I'll say, you know, there's a lot of talk about mission, vision, values. I think values are probably – well, I, I know that values are the most important one of those uh, because values affect not just the company you run today. They affect the company you'll run tomorrow. The company will run your second time around. The company will run after you sell this one and start the next one. Your values are those things that don't change whether you're selling widgets or products or uh, produce. or It doesn't matter. Your values are your values. Those are things, you know, my three values, care, truth, and diligence. Those three values hold true no matter what I'm doing, whether I'm selling consulting services today or whether I had to start to start a pool company tomorrow. 
care, truth, and diligence are going to be the things that I always take with me as a business owner and leader because that's personal to me. Those are the things that I think the world needs more of, and that's the things I'm going to try to bring to my business. So if you don't have values, then take the time to sit down and figure out, you know, what are the, the three – I think three is a great number, but some, some companies have four, some companies have five. I think five is probably about the max. What are the three to five values – that we want as a business and they can be aspirational. You know, they can, you can recognize that you're not where you want to be right now and you got to do some work to get there. But if you can figure out what the three, four, five central values are, then you can walk through your customer experience and say, does that parking lot show care? Because that's, that's kind of the one value that could really, come out in here you know for me care is loving the people i serve you know am i loving them by providing a nice place for them to come to truth is telling people the truth even when it's hard even when it's stuff that they don't want to hear i always tell the truth diligence is always bringing my best work so if i if i didn't run a consulting company if i owned some kind of distribution center and Diligence was the you know diligence bringing our best work to this distribution center business, and our parking lot was a wreck. You know it'd be hard for the people using that space, the truck drivers coming in and out to go. Yeah, this is a really diligent group. They got cracks and potholes all through their parking lot. Yeah, I'm sure they're bringing their best work. Your values of should tie into this customer experience in a huge way. When you know if, if caring for my customers is really a value, then it affects how we interact with each other during our meetings. It affects whether I really want to know what's happening in their personal lives, not just their business life, because I care about them. When uh, when a need arises that I feel like I can meet in their life, if I care for them, I go out of my way to try to meet that need because that's a value that's very critical to me. If truth is one of those values that's important to me and I see something that they're doing that isn't really going to get them where they need to go and the reason that they're doing is because the the alternative is a lot harder, if truth is my value, then I really need to bring that to them and say, look, I care about you and I want us to do business together for a long time. This may be hard for you to hear. It may cause you to want to fire me, but I got to tell you that this thing is not being done the right way. And I think it's not being done the right way because you might just be getting a little lazy. The other way is hard. I know it's hard, but it's the right way. And if you're going to do it, you, you deserve to do it the right way. So the values that you bring to the table for the business will affect everything that touches the customer and they should also affect everything that touches your employees because they're universal. They run throughout the entire business. The last thing about certainty is that you, when you – we talked a lot about certainty for the customer and how the customers desire certainty. But the same thing holds true for your employees. Certainty is really key to job performance. You you have to have good processes so that so that not customers so that employees know how they're supposed to do what they what they're required to do. They have clear expectations. There's never any ambiguity about what's expected of them, and they have regular accountability. 
that those are three very core tenets to to certainty that are strictly from the employee's side. Yes, you want your customers to understand what's expected of them. You want them to understand what their next buying decision needs to be. You want them to have this familiarity with your processes. But on your employee's side, you have to have good processes. You have to have taken the time to look at what it is you're doing and how you're doing it with your team and saying, is this the best way to do it? And if we believe this is the best way to do it, then it needs to be done this way every single time. We need that certainty. If you're going to be great at your job, we need you to have certainty. And the reason that you can have certainty is because we've done the homework and we believe that this is the best way to do this every single time. Here is our expectation of you on this, that you do it this way every single time. And if there's a reason to deviate from it, then here's the process for doing that. Here's who you need to let know that you didn't do it the way that's that it's usually done. Here's what the customer needs to know about this wasn't the way that we usually do it, but we did it this way this time. There have to be very clear expectations. You know, one of the, the conversations I had this past week just involved expectations about when somebody was supposed to work. You know, they, they, they're having an issue with office hours that this person keeps. And you go... Well, do they know when they're supposed to be there? Because if they don't know when they're supposed to be there, that's not their fault. That's your fault. You have not set clear expectations around what's required of them. And then the last, regular accountability. You, your employees deserve regular accountability. If, you're, if you want to create the certainty that leads to job performance, then they have to be certain that they're going to be held accountable. And there needs to be a regular schedule for when you're going to review how they've been doing on that accountability. So it, you know, it's day-to-day that there's a standard here, and we're going to measure you against the standard. And if we see the standard not being met, we're going to let you know about it. And then every quarter or every six months or, gosh, I hope it's not just once a year, but there is a regular schedule for us sitting down and going over the past record and talking about things are getting better or things are getting worse. And, again, here's what's expected. Here are the standards. Here are the processes. We're going to hold you accountable to them. So – we spent, you know, we started talking about, you know, the the evangelical receptionist, and the point there was to really talk about this um, this idea that the receptionist plays a huge role in the outward facing culture of the organization, and that first person that your company comes to experience really needs to set the tone for what's expected thereafter. That this certainty is something that everybody wants and everybody expects your customers especially so take that to the next level and understand that what's good for your customers is great for your employees if the customers are going to benefit from certainty and for from you architecting an experience for your customers then it's going to be doubly so for your employees and you need to spend the time and energy to make sure you're intentional about what both of those groups are experiencing every time they interact with your business. And you'll be better for it. When we talk about strategic planning, the planning part is fun. Everybody gets excited about that. But when it gets into the day-to-day grind of making it happen, this is the kind of stuff we're talking about. And it's not easy. It's, It's simple, but it's not easy. And sometimes you need some outside help with it. That's why I love doing what I do, because that's the kind of stuff I get to help people with. But hopefully you've taken a few things out of this that'll make your business better. I want to say thanks again to the people who continue to to, uh, leave reviews on iTunes. Those are a lot of fun to read. 
If you have comments, uh, if you want to go to the show notes for this episode, I'm not sure that we've made a lot of external references for us to address in this episode, but you can always find show notes at uh, axiomstrategic.com slash 012. I'm sorry, axiomstrategic.com slash podcast slash 012 for episode 12. And I'm your host, Joey Brandon. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you again next week. Thank you.